Hello, everyone. You're listening to Cat and Sam, and this is Off the Ice, a Ball Talkers affiliate, a show where we cover all things hockey. All right, we have some big topics lined up for you today. But first, the reason this episode isn't dropping on our usual Wednesday date, the NHL trade deadline. We're going to be breaking down the winners and losers of the NHL trades and highlight some of the biggest names that came up on the trade table. And later in the show, we have the founder of Women's Hockey Life, Jacqueline Hawkins, to talk a little bit about the culture that surrounds the game in North America and how it's changed over the years. Which leads us into our hockey community highlight of the week, which is Women's Hockey Life. So although we do talk about it with Jacqueline, we just wanted to give you a little bit of a concentrated snippet of what Women's Hockey Life is about. So we'll be discussing that at the end of the episode. But first, we have to give out our stars of the week. So Sam, who was your first star? So my first star comes with a little bit of tea and it goes to JT Miller. And this is because the Vancouver Canucks have not played a game since March 24th. At this point now, that's about three weeks. JT Miller, the Canucks forward, spoke out this week about the dangers of returning early, especially for the players. He said, quote, what we're being asked to do is not going to be too safe if you're asking me, end quote. He continued to add, quote, It's kind of frustrating, if I'm being honest with you. We try to talk about the number one priority being the players' health and their family's safety. It's almost impossible to do what they've asked us to do here on our return, end quote. So what's really happening here is in order for Vancouver to complete its 56-game schedule, they would need to play 19 games in the next 31 days, which is pretty wild for anybody, especially a team all of whom or most of whom were symptomatic with um, an international virus. So that seems like a lot to me. Uh, I got to give Miller's props for speaking up, especially when he probably doesn't have the popular opinion. I give him his props. I think it takes a lot of courage to do that. I think that's a worthy first star. And as we're keeping an eye on the Vancouver Connect situation and whether or not the NHLPA will step in, We're also going to be keeping an eye on some recent trades and how the players have been performing. So my first star goes to Anthony Mantha. As a Detroit Red Wings fan, um, I'm a little sad that Mantha's gone. And maybe this is a preview to when we talk about trades a little later in the episode. But in his first game with the Washington Capitals, Mantha scored a goal and an assist which is pretty great. I mean, it's not often that a player comes right out the gate after a trade getting a goal and an assist. So to see that happen on the first night, congrats to Anthony Mantha, first star. Also, can we just talk about the fact that Anthony Mantha slept through (laughs) his trade call? And I'm pretty sure I read this somewhere that he woke up to a text from Steve Eiserman that was like, call me quickly um and that's how he found out he got traded so he fell asleep just like everybody else and woke up and was playing in a completely different state so I think that's hilarious and just very human of him yeah that deserves a star in its own also what a terrifying text to receive from Steve Eiserman (laughs) um all right for my second star I feel like (laughs) I feel like, honestly, you know who it's going to be already. I'm sure you all do. But (laughs) the one and only Artemi Panarin. And this is because there is only one active player in the league right now who's recorded more points than the Ranger forward in their first 
hundred games with any franchise. And that one player is the amazing Joe Thornton, who oh. I know, who I adore, and we all recognize as an amazing vet in this league. But yeah, Breadman, that second star is all you. You're you just continue to impress me every I day. I feel like every week you could give him your star. I'm rolling my eyes, but like good naturedly, because <laughs> he definitely does deserve it. My second star, you know, I like to have some fun with a second star. Um, and just like the Anthony Mantha, there's always a lot of funny stories that come out of trades. And this just like got me. So my second star goes to the fact that David Riddick, who was traded to the Toronto Maple Leafs from the Flames, <laughs> had to fly with his former team to then play against them the next night. Like they flew to Toronto <laughs> together. And then he was like, peace out guys on a different team and was in goal the next night. I don't know who decided that if that was Riddick or like, I don't know how that happened or who let that happen, but I think it's hilarious. Uh, so David Riddick start. What an icon. That is so funny to me. And this is just like proof that hockey really is so fun because I feel like if that were a lot of other sports, people would be bugging out and we're just like, yo, that's so funny. That's like, that's hilarious. Totally. I hope he thought it was equally as funny. Um, But I think honestly, I really just feel like it's all in good fun. That's hilarious. Shout out the Leafs and the flames because that's, that's awesome. All right. But my last star I've got to give it to the NWHL and NBC Sports. This week, they released their ratings um, and viewership numbers for the Isabel Cup. And man, did they speak volumes. The Friday game, which was the semis, had 106,000 viewers. And the Saturday game, the finals, had 100,000 viewers. So for those of you who may have forgotten, this was the first nationally broadcast professional women's hockey finals. It's a really exciting time for professional women's hockey. And I'll add that these are not the only people who watch. These are just the statistics from NBC Sports. There were still a good amount of people who also watched on Twitch. So it's a really exciting time for women's hockey. I got to give it to the NWHL and NBC Sports for pulling that off and making it happen. It's, it's exciting. That's a perfect start, especially in light of our conversation with Jacqueline Hawkins, which again will be later in the episode. But following along that same strain, my third star goes to the entire 2021 U.S. Women's National Team. Uh, the International Ice Hockey Federation Women's World Cup Championships are coming up May 6th to the 16th, which you know we'll be covering here and on our social media. So you can go check us out on Instagram, Twitter. We'll be talking about it a lot coming up. Uh, but Team USA announced their official roster, uh, which was rounded out with names like Kendall Coyne Schofield, Hillary Knight, Brianna Decker, and some younger players like Abby Rock and Jesse Comfer. Um, I deeply apologize to our Canadian listeners, but I am so ready to watch the women bring home yet another gold medal in May. This roster is stacked. I can't wait to see what happens on the ice. I wish you guys could see the smile on my face, but I am so excited, especially because my 25th birthday is on May 15th. And I am just really hoping for a USA win. That would be the coolest 25th birthday gift ever. And with players like this, I think it's super possible. 
these women never fail to impress me exponentially. So I am so excited for this and I cannot wait, but let's, let's get into it. Let's get into the trade deadlines because this was a really big week for the NHL and that the trade deadline was this week, Monday, April 12th. And usually the, the deadline is much earlier, um, somewhere within the last week or the last few days, even of February, but you know, international pandemic and all. So rightfully so the league switched it up a little bit this year and some years are a little more quiet than others, but this year there were some moves like moves, moves. So we are getting to break down what we looked at as some of the biggest trades here. Kat, why don't you, uh, why don't you start us off? Oh my gosh. I would love nothing more. If you follow us on Twitter, which you absolutely should BT and off the ice on Twitter, um, linked in the description box below, we made sure to cover all of the trades, breaking news. We generally do that with anything that goes on in the NHL and WHL PWHPA hockey sphere. So NHL trade that, de- uh, trade deadline day saw me glued to my phone. And basically I was like, I'm on Twitter, but it's for work. That's how I was justifying it to myself. <laughs> April 7th, the New York Islanders received Kyle Palmieri and Travis Sajak. And in exchange, the New Jersey Devils received a 2021 first round pick, a conditional 2022 second round pick, AJ Greer and Mason Jobst. Sam, what do you think of that? A New York, New Jersey trade. So kind of on the same strain. Kyle Palmieri and Travis Zajac. A lot of people had some strong feelings about those two players leaving the Devils. Both players, both Palmieri and Zajac have had great careers with the Devils, right? Palmieri is 30 years old, though. He's in his final season of his five-year contract. He scored at least 24 goals in the last five seasons. So far, he's averaged eight goals, nine assists, and 34 games played so far. I think the trade, if you're talking about contracts, makes sense, right? Like Palmieri's in the final season of his five-year contract. And if anyone's going to get traded, it's it's these boys here, right? Also, uh, Palmieri is a New York boy. Um, I'm pretty sure he was from Smithstown, New York. And I know he has a house in Long Island. Not that I've been there or anything. I just know that he has a <laughs> Not house. that you're stalking Kyle Palmieri. Yeah, no, I'm not. I'm not. I just, I do know that um, he, he likes Long Island. He, like, he likes New York. Um, so I'm not all too surprised with his going there contractually and, you know, I guess for his lifestyle. And then Travis Zajac, uh, he's played 33 games this season. He's got seven goals, 11 assists. He's 35 years old, and he's also in the final season of his eight-year contract. Um, That being said, he has had an incredible career with the Devils. He is fourth in New Jersey history behind Danico and Brodeur in games played. He is third in goals, third in points, and fifth in assists in Devils history. So I understand why people might be upset about this trade because both of these players have such like a long, rich history with the organization. But that being said, they're both in the final seasons of their relatively longer contracts. They're both in their 30s, so they're not really the young guys in the league anymore. 
And after Anders Lee injured his ACL, you know, the Islanders have a lot of cap space, a decent amount of cap space open. So it's a very interesting tri-state trade there. So we should start calling it. But yeah, it's interesting. It makes sense financially, though. And I think they're going to bring a, a lot of good energy to the Islanders who, are, who have been on a run here. Yeah, I think for Palmieri and Zajac, looking at their numbers and their history, they're the two players that you would expect to get traded. I kind of expected Zajac... Um, you know, maybe to get signed like in the off season, like Palmieri and Zajac both look like they could have been like off season trades or dumps or whatever, but they totally make sense. Honestly, the most surprising thing about this trade is the fact that Palmieri and Zajac are both 30 plus years old, which I don't know why in my head they're like mid twenties. Maybe it's just the way that they play or the fact that I can't remember how old anyone is ever, <laughs> but they're great players, and I think they'll 100% fit in with the New York Islanders and the style of hockey that they play. So, tri-state trade. One and done. It seems to be a good one. Who do you think won this trade, if we can say that? Truthfully, I think the Islanders won. I really yeah. do, because I think Zajac and Palmieri, even if their numbers, even if they're a little bit lower than they have been typically, right? They're still bringing that energy, the Islanders, who are making a run. And I know I just said this, but they are. and. I think if anything, it'll only benefit the Islanders and considering they've lost Andrews Lee's like that's, that's their captain, you know, I think it'll be good for the Islanders. I think the Islanders won this trade. Yeah, I agree with you. It's really important to have veteran presence, you know, on your lines, especially when you're losing kind of a big figure in your organization. I think the Islanders totally won this trade. So Next big trade that we wanted to highlight happened on April 11th. So this is a three-way trade. So stay with me. Toronto Maple Leafs received Nick Foligno and Stefan Noson. The Columbus Blue Jackets received a 2021 first round pick and a 2022 fourth round pick. And Columbus Blue Jackets retain 50% of Foligno's salary. And then San Jose receives a 2021 fourth round pick and they retain 25% of Foligno's salary. So Nosen came from San Jose, Felino came from Toronto, the picks kind of followed from there. This is a big trade. I was not expecting Nick Felino to get traded at all. And I didn't hear any rumors that he was on the trade block. He is their captain. A lot of things have been happening in Columbus. Their season is very clearly over in terms of a cup run. Tortorella may be on his way out at the very least, if not this year, then maybe next year. But Felino is a really big move for them to make. There is no doubt that this is this is like the end of an era in, in Columbus, trading with their captain. Felino has played 599 games for the Columbus Blue Jackets. He scored 142 goals. He's had 192 assists. And one of my favorite stats, he's had 466 penalty minutes. On top of that, he's also scored 21 game-winning goals for Columbus. So his presence has been undeniably important in Columbus. He is going to go down as one of the most successful captains in the history of their organization. He's gritty and he's a defensive forward. And I think that that's what he's going to bring to Toronto, who's looking to get playoff ready. When you look at the trade, I, I think it makes sense. Um, Columbus has had a tough season. They've basically gotten rid of two 
expiring, if you want to say, contracts, and they're receiving first round picks for them. So really interesting. I heard a rumor. And when I say I heard a rumor, I read it on Twitter. Someone kind of like pitched the idea that this summer, Felina will be an unrestricted free agent. Um, so a lot of people were kind of like pitching the idea, will he come back to Columbus after that? I don't know. That would be cool. That would be really cool. But I'm sure for him, it'll be a great experience to kind of get to play somewhere new and with new guys, you know, that's always fun. Yeah. This was the one trade when I saw it break and I was like frantically trying to put it in our Twitter. I was like, wow, Nick Felino, really? And the more that you kind of break it down and I'm glad that you had like the numbers and stats for us, it does make sense in the fact that I think Toronto, as they're getting ready for playoffs, as you said, are still kind of looking to bolster their um, back end. And even as like Nick Foligno is a forward, he does have that back check. He has that really strong defensive side. So it does make sense. I don't necessarily see Nick Foligno in Toronto, although now we will. (laughs) And it'll be interesting seeing him in that jersey. I think it's just because I'm so used to seeing him in Columbus. Stefan Nosen hasn't had much luck in San Jose. We'll see in Toronto, it looks just kind of like, um, you know, kind of building that depth. Picks are a good return. It's hard to say. I think Toronto, for me, definitely wins this trade. Nick Foligno is, he's an incredible player. He seems to be an incredible person. You know, really nice guy. I don't see how um, anyone else could win with, you know, having Nick Foligno on their team. Yeah, I think we'll see Foligno's role shift a little bit. Um, in Toronto, I think he's going to be that big bodied defensive forward. The real winner of this trade for me is Felino, because Columbus isn't, isn't going to have a playoff run, right? Like they're just not, and his contract is expiring anyway. So he's just getting some ice, man. Like really at that point, I am. To me, he just basically got a chance to play in the playoffs. He t- he won this trade, I think. Yeah, and you bring up a really great point of how interesting it'll be to see what his role is on the Toronto Maple Leafs because it'll it's clear that it'll be very different from what his role was with the Columbus Blue Jackets, especially when you consider the Leafs have players like Jason Spezza and Joe Thornton. So where he'll slot in the lineup still remains to be seen, but it'll definitely be something that we'll be keeping our eye on. Also, on April 11th, along with like the majority of what we're talking about, I mentioned it earlier, but Toronto Maple Leafs received David Riddick from the Calgary Flames in exchange for a 2022 third round pick. This one surprised me, although it shouldn't because we had been hearing rumors that Riddick was maybe on the trade black, maybe he was going out. He's had a you know, average career, you know, in Calgary, it hasn't been fantastic, but it hasn't been terrible. It's interesting to me that Toronto is picking up goaltenders. Maybe that means something for Anderson, who is on IR. Toronto is kind of in an interesting position in terms of goaltending. Anderson, is he coming back? Is he not? If he does come back, will he stay for next year? Are they going to re-sign him? I think Toronto bringing in David Riddick is an interesting piece in that conversation around Anderson. It definitely opens up an interesting conversation on how the Leafs will maybe tackle their goaltending in the postseason. I, for right now, 
Anderson's on the IR, but Campbell, he, I'm almost, no, I am positive. He set an NHL record. He did. Yeah. He had an, his 11th straight victory to open the season in his 41st game for the Leafs. So, you know, I don't, I'll be interested to see how this plays out in the postseason. Right now, I think it's like, it's like a depth play. You know, if they're really looking to make a run here, they need to make sure that they have good goalies in that. And it, I think it just, this is a trade that, understandable. Anderson's got, an, uh, I think, a 904 save percentage. Um, this makes sense to me. Yeah. And I think, and maybe this is speculation on my part, but I don't think um, Anderson stays with Toronto. I really don't. Um, I think he's, he might be an off season decision Um, and we'll see how Riddick performs in, you know, Toronto will be interesting to see how many starts he gets. Obviously there's also Michael Hutchinson. I feel like with the incoming of David Riddick, maybe he is now the third. Um, And we'll see kind of who splits the starts with Jack Campbell and David Riddick, but definitely an interesting thing when you consider Frederick Anderson. Um, But another move that maybe was a little bit surprising, also on April 11th, Pittsburgh Penguins. They receive Jeff Carter. You heard that right. If you're an LA King fan, you're probably like, I can't believe this happened. My life is ruined. Um, In exchange for the LA Kings receiving a 2022 conditional third, a 2023 conditional fourth. And that's it. That's all they got. Okay. How do you feel about this? Okay. I'm not going to lie. This was like one of those trades where I was like, huh? (laughs) Like, huh? And let me tell you why the Pens have, they have limited space for players. Um, They also have a a good vet core. Um, And they ended up picking up, another 36 year old vet which no shade to Jeff Carter like I have a lot of respect for Jeff Carter um but he did suffer a major ankle injury in 2017 prior to that injury he was putting up about 60 points a season um since he's been producing about half of that uh there is only one year remaining on his contract he's a big boy He's also won two Stanley Cups and he's he's an Olympic gold medalist. So the man is an incredible hockey player. I thought it was an interesting move for a team that didn't have a lot of space to make moves anyway. Um, but you know, maybe he'll he'll work well with with some of the vets they already got and will be a good leader on that team for those guys who haven't been in the league for as long. Yeah, it's interesting, and I feel the same way about this trade. When I think of the LA Kings, which isn't, they're not a team that I follow, you know, heavily, but also, again, I am from California. I, you know, I have a little bit of, you know, love for any California team, but when I think of the LA Kings, I think of Jeff Carter. I think he's really been a part of their identity for so long. In all of the things you are saying about Jeff Carter, he's older, he's a vet, he's a big body. He's won a Stanley cup. He's an Olympic gold medals. All of those are things that the Pittsburgh Penguins have in other players. And so what I find so interesting about this trade 
is that I, I'm not quite sure yet what Jeff Carter offers the Pittsburgh Penguins that they don't have already. And I don't mean that in a negative way to Jeff Carter. He's an incredible player. I have a ton of respect for him. But in terms of what the LA Kings need and what the Pittsburgh Penguins need, I'm not sure how Jeff Carter kind of fits into this equation. And again, with the conditionals, that throws an interesting light on the trade as well. You know what I just thought about, which I hadn't really thought about before? This does feel like a rental player Mm -hmm. situation to me. A lot of these trades, though, Ken, because most of these guys are in the last years of their their contracts. So, you know, it's not only this trade that feels like that to me, but it almost makes me feel like maybe it was like a safe move by the Penguins. I mean, there's a lot up in the air with COVID and protocol, and you really never know who is going to be healthy when it comes to playoffs. And Jeff Carter might just be one of those guys that they're going to be able to rely on, especially with the group of guys that they have. You know, this is obviously all speculation, but that that is that has been my rationale for this trade. Yeah, I feel like Pittsburgh is famous for taking players that you wouldn't really expect and then having like them having totally turnaround seasons. And so maybe with Jeff Carter, he'll prove us all wrong and like put up like 10 points in like two games or like something crazy. You know what I mean? But I think he'll do really well in Pittsburgh. I really do. And totally with the conditionals and just kind of the whole season and Jeff Carter's experience with LA, this definitely feels like it could be a rental player situation. So we'll keep an eye on that. Jeff Carter in Pittsburgh, that's going to be really, really strange to see. Moving on to April 12th, the infamous Taylor Hall trade that, shall I say, cracked the internet? At the very least happened, please, like, come on, Buffalo. You're going to make a major trade and you're going to do it at 10.30 p.m. Central. Are you kidding me? Ridiculous. I saw it when laying in bed and I was like, they're not going to tweet this? Ridiculous. Anyway, Buffalo Sabres. <laughs> I have a lot of feelings about this trade and the fact that it interrupted my sleep schedule is only part of it. <laughs> the Buffalo Sabres receive Anders Bjork in a 2022 second. And in exchange, the Boston Bruins. And if you had them chosen for picking up Taylor Hall, congrats. I did not. <laughs> the Boston Bruins received Taylor Hall. And just to sweeten the deal, they also get Curtis Lazar. We ran a bunch of Twitter polls depending on the trade. Again, follow us on Twitter. We do a lot of stuff like that. And 79% of you said that Boston won this trade. And I have to agree with you. We, I think we expected it in the sense that Taylor Hall was very obviously not happy in Buffalo, even as they're like winning games again to like the detriment of the Philadelphia Flyers. Um, things are still broken in, in Buffalo. I think the problems that they've had are not resolved. You know, we did a whole episode on them. Um, so I'm not surprised that Taylor Hall was traded. I'm a little bit surprised that it was to Boston because that wasn't really a team that I was considering. You know, we talked a little about like the Rangers possibly getting Eichel. They were obviously in the mix for Taylor Hall. Yeah, what do you think about this, Sam? This one, yeah, it definitely broke the internet. It, it was interesting to me because you knew Taylor Hall was unhappy. He waived his, his no movement clause for the deal. So he definitely wanted to get out of there. This is the second time he's been traded in the last two years. I mean, listen, Boston is is looking to make one more run for a cup, right? They've they've gotten rid of Chara. I think this is maybe their 
last shot or so before they kind of have to put themselves into a little bit of a rebuild here. So I think it was a good pick for Boston. I think Boston definitely won this trade mostly because they also are the fifth. Yeah. They're the fifth worst team in the league in five on five goals. I think this is good for Boston and I'm hoping good for Taylor Hall because I'd, I'd like to see him put that skill set to use a little bit more. Yeah, it's an interesting trade. And maybe this will have people up in arms. So Buffalo fans, please do not come for me. But sometimes I do wonder if Taylor Hall, while an incredible player, and again, first overall in 2010 to Edmonton, sometimes I do wonder if he's overvalued a little bit. And I wonder if maybe all of the things that have happened in Buffalo could have contributed to this mythos around Taylor Hall. His first debut with the Boston Bruins against the Buffalo Sabres wasn't a fantastic game on the Bruins end. Again, not every player can come out like Anthony Mantha and get a goal and an assist in their first game with their new team. But I think everyone was kind of expecting something great from Taylor Hall. And so what's going to be really fascinating in the next couple of weeks is kind of seeing how Taylor Hall meshes with the Boston Bruins and and what that looks like because I think if Boston doesn't work out for Taylor Hall then there's going to be some questions about the future of his career especially with how many trades have happened with him in the past couple of years yeah so I mean two trades in two seasons it's it's kind of a lot he signed that eight million dollar deal with Buffalo during free agency in October and he's talked about it not not being the most confident hockey player. That is something he's definitely been open about. And it's and it shows, though. His shooting percentage is at a career low, 2.3%. Yeah, I think there's definitely a reason to argue that he may have been overvalued here. That being said, he was probably put into one of the most toxic environments in the league. Um, so expecting anyone to thrive. I mean, look at Eichel and Skinner, right? I think is hard. So I think you're right. This this will be big for him to see if, is it a Taylor Hall problem or was it a Buffalo Sabres problem? Exactly. He's got to click somewhere. And if it wasn't with the Oilers and wasn't with Arizona and wasn't with Sabres, and I can't fault him for the Sabres or even the Coyotes, but... And the Devils. And, and the Devils. Is it then, you know, if he doesn't click with the Bruins, then we're left with some questions. But, you know, genuinely, we are wishing him all the best. We want him to succeed. Hopefully with the Bruins, um, you know, something really comes out of it. Also on April 12th, Adam Gaudet. So Chicago receives Adam Gaudet from the Vancouver Canucks, who in, re- who, uh, in exchange receive Matthew Imore. This was interesting only in the sense that, and I don't know where I got this, but somehow I heard that Vancouver was like, we're not going to trade anybody. We're done. And part of that was also because like COVID situation in Vancouver it makes it a little bit more difficult to trade players um this kind of seems like a one-to-one ratio to me Highmore and Gaudet seem pretty similar players um I wasn't really expecting Jim Benning to trade Adam Gaudet I think a lot of us were searching for like that Jake Vertanen trade that didn't happen and then Mm. we were like oh Adam Gaudet Okay, Jim, <laughs> if you say so. All right. Yeah, so this was an interesting trade just in the sense that I expected Vancouver to not trade anybody. And if they were, it was going to be a different player. But how do you feel about this trade, Sam? I'll agree with that. I did not, not that I 
counted got it out uh, of being traded, but I definitely didn't think he was the piece that Vancouver would choose to move. Um, that being said, in the last season or so, his production has slowed down a bit. And I know he is one of the players who has been affected by COVID. And so I don't know what his recovery or really any of those players' recovery is, looks like. It's kind of part of the conversation I don't think we're talking about that these men are going to be, you know, coughing and not tasting or smelling or, you know, these are all side effects of that. Um, so I don't really know what the future looks like for Adam got it. I, I think it's going to be really interesting to see him on Chicago, though, after uh, his little scrap with Connor Murphy last year. That'll be fun to see him play together. I wish I could be a fly in the wall in that first practice with him and Connor Murphy. <laughs> totally. I feel like Adam Gaudet is a player that I could see flourishing really well with Chicago, who just in general are, I don't want to say struggling because they've definitely exceeded expectations with Jonathan Taves out. And Kirby Doc, you know, at the beginning of the season, we're like, oh, Chicago's done. And they've totally proven themselves in a way that none of us really expected. I could see Adam Goddard really fitting in on the lineup and fitting in the identity of the Chicago Blackhawks. Matthew Highmore, good luck in Vancouver, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I don't know what that's going to look like. Obviously, Vancouver's season is up in the air. What is it going to look like? We don't know. And I love the fact that you're bringing in this kind of personal side of it with the athletes. You know, we, we kind of saw that with Mika Zibanejad. He had a really, really long recovery time. You know, these are players, but they're people too. And so how COVID is affecting them, you know, on a physical level, we really don't know. And so, you know, what will Adam Goddard be able to do on the ice because of COVID? What will Matthew Highmore be able to do in Vancouver just based on circumstance? We really don't know. So this is a hard trade to value. But Vancouver and Chicago are both teams that I think are in this sort of, you know, I don't want to say rebuild, but kind of this, um, you know, restructuring period. Maybe Vancouver has had some interesting off-season decisions. Shout out to Jim Benning. They've maybe taken a step back a bit. They've struggled a lot this year. Chicago, again, they're, they're missing some key players. So, you know, for Gaudet and Highmore, I think it's probably going to be business as usual with the added covid experience we should call this episode the covid experience the covid experience i was yeah. totally gonna name it the tri-state trade <laughs> oh the tri-state trade that's pretty rad too i guess we'll find out when we uh we're we'll done editing episode, guys. <laughs> but no you know what like i said uh i think we're kind of forgetting like these guys regardless of they're probably in some of the best shape out of for men their age in the country, right? Athletes are, but we don't know what that recovery is going to look like for them. I can't even imagine what kind of effect this is going to have for guys who have asthma or guys who are prone to bronchitis. Like these, these guys get on the ice and they skate high more. I was doing a little bit of reading, some catching up on Twitter. It seems like Vancouver believes he's got some untapped potential. I know they were excited about his speed and his work ethic. And so we'll see how that all plays out. I don't know what the rest of the season is going to look like for Vancouver. They're in a sticky spot. Yeah. As we're continuing on with April 12th, we have four more trades that we want to quickly hit. The first one is the Sam Bennett trade. So the Calgary flames receive a 2022 second overall and Emil Heinemann. And in return, the Florida Panthers receive Sam Bennett 
and a 2022 sixth round pick. Our Twitter poll said that 55% of you said Florida won this trade. So that was kind of interesting. It was split almost 50-50. Sam Bennett, we knew he wanted out, but then there were some things coming out of Calgary that he and the coach, you know, kind of clicked a little bit. It seemed like he wasn't really wanting a trade. And then a few weeks later, here he is in Florida, which good for him. Florida's, they've been on a run. They're doing really well right now. Um, I think Sam Bennett will really flourish in Florida. Um, I, from my perspective, I think Florida wins this. I think Sam Bennett's really, he's ready to prove himself in Florida. And I think Florida's ready for him. Yeah. I mean, he's going to be a uh, restrictive free agent after this season. So this summer. So it's not like, Florida is going to need to stay super committed to Sam Bennett. He is struggling this season. He's got 12 points uh, in 38 games. He's minus 14. And I think there were really high expectations for Bennett, uh, especially being drafted number four in 2014, right behind, I'm almost positive. Yeah, it was Leon Dreisaitl. He had one of his best seasons in 2015-16. He was only 19 years old. He had 18 goals, 18 assists in 77 games. And unfortunately, he never really got back there. Last year, he only had 12 points in 52 games. So I think you're right. I think this is a really, really great time for Sam Bennett to prove himself. That being said, Carolina has had a great team. So he was definitely in a place where he... You know, you would hope he would be able to do it. It's possible he just doesn't work in that system with that coach, whatever it is for Sam Bennett. I hope he figures it out in Florida. One, because they're on a great run. I'm excited for them. I know we're going to see him in playoffs and it's going to be great. And two, because I just like watching good hockey and the game will be better if Sam Bennett plays better. (laughs) Uh, As we're moving on to the second trade that we want to hit April 12th, continuing on this is trade deadline day. If you couldn't tell by everything happening on the 12th. Detroit, this is a big one. This is a big, big trade. And it really left a lot of people questioning. So the Detroit Red Wings received Richard Panic, Jakob Vrana, and a 2021 first round. Oh, excuse me, and a 2022 second. So that is four things that they receive. Two draft picks, Richard Panic and Jakob Vrana. And in return, the Washington Capitals receive Anthony Mantha, and that is it. Four things for one man. I should say two people and two things and and one man. 86% of you said that Detroit won this trade. A lot of thoughts. Is Anthony Mantha overvalued? Is he valued correctly? Did Steve Eiserman just swindle the hell out of the Washington (laughs) Capitals? This trade broke. And I honestly was like, oh, this has to come from like a joke account. You know, like those accounts were like Sidney Crosby for like X, Y, and Z. And you're like, get out of here. This trade, I was like, there's no way. But then like Sportsnet was like, this happened. And I'm like, oh my God. Okay. Sam, how do you feel about this? This trade was really blockbuster in terms of hockey trade. So Ron is a year younger than Mantha. And I, I feel like their play is comparable in terms of what it is they're doing on the ice. This was one that I was just not expecting, but I think regardless of it kind of 
hitting everyone sideways. There seemed to be some good reactions to it from the hockey community, regardless of everyone's shock. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think this trade would make more sense to me if it was Jakob Verona for Anthony Mantha because their numbers, their style of play, they're really, really similar. Um, they have basically the same on ice production. So you'd be like, yeah, one-to-one ratio, but with the two, and a first and a second round pick, those are not, you know, it's not like that's like a six round pick, right? Like a 2021 first, that's a big deal. Uh, 2022 second, that's nothing to scoff at either. Richard Panic, sure. Why not? I think Detroit totally won this in the sense that they get a lot out of it. But honestly, Washington, I love that there's a lot of fans who are really excited about Anthony Mantha. Obviously, he's excited to be there and get out of Detroit. He's on a winning team. He's got a goal and an assist. Like, I think he's excited to win. And that kind of winning mentality really does fire players up. And so I think this trade could kind of go both ways where both teams win in their own sense. Detroit, they get Jakob Rana, who I really like as a player. I think he's really great. Richard Panic, that'll be awesome to add to their depth. Obviously, picks are fantastic, but Washington, Anthony Mantha's ready to work. Yeah, and I think, you know, one of Mantha's biggest issues is actually his ability to stay on the ice. He's had quite a few injuries in the last couple of years. Um, but when he's healthy, man, like, he is there. And I think he's going to be a really good fit on Washington. He's a big boy. He's massive. Um, Washington's got a lot of, a lot of big boys out there. You know, he's physical. Washington's always played a physical game at a very fast pace. Um, so I think like that's going to end up working out really well for Mantha and for Washington. And then for Detroit, you know, they did get a decent amount back. Rana's been producing and he'll play a pretty big role there. And it'll be exciting to see what happens. This was a wild trade that no one was expecting, but I, I think it was a good one for both teams, to be honest. Yeah, I agree. April 12th. Also, this is a little bit of a smaller trade, but I wanted to highlight it. A, because it's the Carolina Hurricanes and you know that I really love that team. And also because there was kind of a fun backstory to this. So the uh, Anaheim Ducks receive Hayden Flurry, and then in exchange for the Carolina Hurricanes receiving Yanni Hockenpah and a 2022 six. Yanni Hockenpah, if I'm saying your name right, please excuse me. Your name has a lot of vowels in it. <laughs> I <laughs> am guys, from the United States. I don't know how to say anything. You guys, it's so many vowels. <laughs> it's a lot of vowels. It wasn't necessarily surprised that Hayden Flurry was the one who was leaving. Carolina, I think a lot of us expected Jake Gardner to go. You know, he's been on the taxi squad. Maybe that'll be an off-season decision as well. But Hayden Flurry hasn't been producing some, um, you know, all that much. I think he could do well in the Ducks. Uh, they definitely need the help. You know, it's probably a bummer to go from the Carolina Hurricanes, who, mm, I don't want to, like, say this, but I think they're at the top of the – they're sure. doing really well. The Ducks, mm, not so much. <laughs> Uh, but Yanni Hoffenbach, I thought that was an interesting name when I first saw this trade. I was like, oh, I don't know who that is. Nothing against Yanni Hoffenbach. I don't have an encyclopedic knowledge of like every player in the NHL. But what was really interesting about it was Rod the Bod, Rod Brintamore, <laughs> the amazing human that he is. He was talking a little bit about it, I believe, um, 
and really so Yanni Hockenpah and Sebastian Ajo have played together a couple of times they seem to mesh really well on the ice so Carolina went into this trade knowing who they were getting and kind of having this understanding that Yanni Hockenpah would fit on their line uh, you know already has some chemistry with some of their players and so you know I think for Carolina this is a good trade again Yanni Hockenbach god what a fun name to say uh, he seems like he'll slot into the lineup pretty easily and then a 2022 six for what I'm sure is going to be a deep draft obviously the draft is a little bit messed up for the coming years because scouting isn't able to happen the way we would expect it to it's good to get a pick wherever you can for sure. And Fleury has spent his four years in the league with the Hurricanes. Um, he was selected seventh overall in the 2014 draft. Um, he skated in 35 games this season. He's only scored one goal. So I'll be interested to see what he does in terms of production in Anaheim. But I think uh, the Hockey and Pa, oh, God, that is so fun. Um, the Hockey and Pa trade actually did not make much sense to me until learning this information because I was like, wait, I don't understand. This guy has played 42 games this season and he has one assist. Like, why is he going to one of the best teams in the league? So I think knowing that he has experience playing with Ajo, this trade just kind of makes a little bit more sense for everybody. Mm -hmm. Especially with the Carolina Hurricanes, I think they're especially known for the depth that they have in their lineup and Hawk and Pie thinks slots in really well that if you can depend on a player to, um, you know, be able to come in when needed and have that chemistry preset with your lineup, I think that's a really valuable thing. So we'll be keeping an eye on that. Um, the last trade that I wanted to touch on and same with you bringing up uh, Artemi Panarin, basically <laughs> every episode. I had to talk about this because I was really surprised and kind of like sad about it. So the Washington Capitals receive Michael Raffle from the Philadelphia Flyers, who in return receive a 2021 fifth. First of all, I'm like, are you undervaluing Michael Raffle? <laughs> is it just the fact that I really like him as a player and I like the Philadelphia Flyers that I'm upset by this, but also a 2021 fifth? Come on. Like he's at least like a third or a second. Ridiculous. <laughs> uh, 72% of you said that Washington won this trade. I am inclined to agree just out of like irritation with Philadelphia. Michael Raffle hasn't been producing, I think, the way that we expected them to. And you could say that of the entire Philadelphia Flyers organization right now, you know, but he's a really solid depth, you know, third, fourth line. Like he can produce when you need him to. He's really solid. He's a part of that veteran core and he's a part of that Flyers identity. So seeing him go kind of like, it hurts me a little bit. Mm -hmm. What's also interesting about this besides the fact that I do think he is worth more than Philadelphia received, is the fact that same with um, Vancouver, Michael Raffle wasn't really the name I think a lot of Flyers fans expected to see. I think all of us were kind of like on the lookout for like, okay, where's Shane Gostaspare going? Like, who's taking Shane Gostaspare? And then he wasn't traded. And Michael Raffle was instead. And so I think that's what really gets me about this trade is that I'm like, oh, you were not the player I was expecting to be traded. And I think this hurts you in return. 
Yeah, I'm, it's going to be interesting because Raffles putting on um, a different jersey for the first time in his NHL career, you know, so that's really different. And it's going to be really different for him. Um, you know, he did sign a two-year contract. His contract is expiring. Um, the Flyers are obviously not having the production they were hoping for, or at least that was even expected of them this year. Um and I was I was doing my, you know, very um, in-depth reading on Twitter where people were just kind of talking about the idea that this opens a lot of doors for younger guys that the Flyers have up and coming in their organization. Um, and I'm, if there's any time to switch it up for the Flyers, it's it's now because especially in the middle of the pandemic, you know, if anyone is expecting you to fail or not do well, um, this is the season to do it. So, you know, it sucks. It sucks, but it's part of the game. Um, I definitely, definitely think that Washington uh, won this trade, but this was not one that I was expecting either. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, and and to go back to what you're saying about giving an opportunity to some of the younger players, Philadelphia is one of those teams that has – a host of young players. I think they're a really young team. Um, and something that can spark a team to get going when they maybe haven't had, you know, been super successful on the ice is trading away a veteran player, um, you know, and kind of shaking up that lineup and saying, okay, you know, you're not safe here and you really have to work for it. Um, you know, and obviously this is speculation on our end, but maybe trading raffle it, it could be part of that and could be part of you know the you know, and and uh the organization trying to say okay all right flyers wake up because you know somebody who you really like and is a big part of our you know culture and the locker room he's now gone and it's time for you to step up yeah it's gonna be really really interesting to see what happens not only you know, for Philadelphia and, but for really all of these teams, and it's going to be a fun second half or end of the season here, but Kat, we did it. We got through, we got through trade deadlines. We did it. We did it. I thought it would be crazier, but honestly, Taylor Hall and uh, the Mantha trade that took the life out of me. So next year, actually the biggest thing that's going to be coming up is the Seattle Kraken expansion draft. So, so hyped. Oh, so hyped, you know. This is a time to follow us on Twitter and Instagram again because we're going to keep, you know, track of all of these players. And as things come up, you know, we're going to be the first ones kind of documenting it. So, you know, those Kraken jerseys are different, dude. Those oh, my God. Are so different. They're going to they have to be sponsored by Kraken, right? Like that would be. Oh, they such, have to be. That would be just such a dropped ball. <laughs> like I'm a. Kraken, if you're listening to me, y'all need to link. Like, that would just be a very good idea. Just yeah. They should hop on it. Seattle Kraken as well. Their, um, like, PR campaign videos cracked me up. Because at first I was like, are you trying to recruit me to the U.S. Navy? Nope, it's just the Seattle Kraken. <laughs> Dude, I, after watching that video, I was like, do I want to move to Seattle? <laughs> I was Seattle. like, do I want to like, try and get a job in Seattle? But... Y'all, it's mad cold up there. You're a New York girl. Mm -mm, I don't know. But all right. Anyway, we're moving forwards. Guys, 
we had the opportunity to sit down with the amazing Jacqueline Hawkins, founder of Women's Hockey Life. And we had such an incredible conversation. I cannot wait to share it with you guys. We have a very special guest joining us today. Jacqueline Hawkins, former Yukon Huskies, CWHL, and Swiss League hockey player, and the founder and owner of Women's Hockey Life, the WHL podcast, and more. Jacqueline, thank you so much for being with us today on Off the Ice. Thank you guys for having me. It's, uh, it's an honor and a privilege to be here, and I'm excited to have some amazing conversations today. I think it's going to be a great time, so thank you. Oh my gosh. And we're so excited. So for our listeners who don't know who you are, which like, I can't imagine that anyone doesn't, <laughs> but just in case, would you mind telling us a little bit about who you are and what women's hockey life is? Well, that's a loaded question. Um, I mean, we can go, we can go back as far as, you know, my, my youth days growing up playing in a small village South of Ottawa, Ontario, Canada. Um, you know, it, uh, it was watching my older brother play, just I just watched from a distance I had to be the goalie um fell in love with the game on the street and then wanted to play so I started playing and did my youth career up there played with the boys um transitioned to the girls probably around peewee and then I actually moved to Watertown Connecticut when I was 16 years old and went to a prep school so I went to the Taft Mm -hmm. school for uh three years there and then got a, a full scholarship um to the University of Connecticut uh funny story about that but maybe we'll save it for later as far as my recruiting process with UConn but yeah, I had a great four-year experience there and then uh, ended up coaching for a year after that at UConn and uh, followed up that with going to play in Switzerland, which was an unbelievable experience. Like to be able to go play and, and I mean, I could tell stories for days about that whole experience, um, just living over over there forever and, and well, not ever, sorry, it was a year, um, but a, a tremendous experience. Well, like, wish I, I want to go back. It's probably been 10 plus years now, but I got, I got to get back there. Uh, but then I came back and started up Women's Hockey Life. Um, didn't know what I wanted to do and knew I wanted to stay involved in the game. So I started up women's hockey life um, and, you know, wasn't making enough money to live off of at that time. So it was kind of my side hustle. And I ended up finding a job as a, basically like a hockey ops for a youth organization in Connecticut. So back in Connecticut, here I go back there and did that for about two and a half years. And then a, a job opened up at UConn again for coaching. So I jumped back there and three, four, what was it? Five years. I think I went back and coached there and, um, ended up uh, getting pregnant with twins. And that was the end of my uh, coaching career. <laughs> it was my mom mode at that point. Um, but yeah, and it, uh, sorry, I should say I also played in the CWHL. So when I came back and, and moved to Connecticut and was with the youth organization, I was playing in the CWHL. So that was an unbelievable experience being surrounded by all those U S Olympians. They put me in my place. <laughs> I will say, first of all, Taft is a beautiful rink. It was always one of my favorite rinks to play in growing up. It is gorgeous out there. The school itself reminds me of Harry Potter. Like, I look at pictures now, and I'm like, did I really go there? (laughs) It is so beautiful. I think it is uh, the Polar Bear Tournament, I think, is what gets played there. Yeah, I played the Polar Bears, too, when I was at Taft, so full circle there. Oh, I love that. Um, I would love to talk about the CWHL because – you know, especially being younger and growing up, that didn't really exist for me to be able to watch. And, you know, as we get older, we're starting to see these leagues come along and it's really exciting for women's hockey. So for the people who don't know what the CWHL is, we've talked about it a little bit before. Can you just talk about your experience on that? What was that like for you? Absolutely. So yeah, CWHL, the Canadian Women's Hockey League, um, they actually had one American team, which was in Boston. So that was the team that I was playing with when I was working in Connecticut. So 
I mean, it was, it was an unbelievable experience in the sense of who I was on the ice with, you know, it was Angela Ruggiero, it was Casey Bellamy, Bellamy, Erica Lawler, Molly Shouts with our, our goalie, Gigi Marvin, um, you know, Kelly Stack was there. And then the list goes on and on and on. Like I never made it to that Olympic level with the Canadian team, but I felt like I quote unquote made it when I was on the ice with those players and practicing against them. So from that perspective of just growing as a player, it was, it was unbelievable. But then it also like, I was always a first line player in college and now, right. I've got these Olympians in front of me. So I had to learn and accept my new role as third line, maybe to second line. Um, and truly understood how to fight for something. Not that I never fought for being that first line player in college or, or beyond, but um, you know, now I'm surrounded by players who are better than I am. So it forced me to level up. Right. So that was, that was cool. Um, obviously a, a, a mental challenge as well, but I obviously accepted, embraced it. And, and also when you can accept your role as that third line, fourth line player, you make the whole team better. Mm -hmm. And thankfully I had coached for a year before that at the, at the university level. So I understood that even more. So I kind of was just like, yep, this is my role, but, but I can work to get better and move up in the, in the lineup if I want to. Mm -hmm. Right. So, I mean, but it was long days too. Like I would work all day and then drive to Boston, which was like an hour and a half for an hour of practice and then drive back home. Right. And bus trips then it's like, okay, we leave, Friday after work, get in late in the morning and then, you know, play Saturday, Sunday. And then we get home technically Monday morning at like 2 a.m. in Boston. And then I got to drive back to Connecticut, right? Like, and to get up and do it again. So it, I, it was just so cool though. Like I, I loved it. It reminded me of, of just like why I fell in love with the game. You know, like we're not being paid millions of dollars. We're trying to build something. Obviously that league's defunct now, but um, bigger and better things are coming. Yeah, I think one of the things that strikes us the most about, you know, the CWHL, but also now the NWHL and the PWHPA is that these players, you know, they aren't able to make a living wage yet playing hockey. And so, like, it's incredible to me to watch them on the ice and they're so incredible and so good. And I'm like, okay, but she's like a scientist or a teacher or something like they have these whole other lives away from the rink. And I think we sometimes forget that and it speaks to I think the passion and the love for the game that these players and that you have to you know go through all of that and make those really difficult decisions to you know balance a career and balance that you know financial strain as well as play professional it's the, the passion for the game right that's why we do it that's why we did it. that's why we played the CWHL for no salary at all like it was just for fun for the love of the game but then I think of like one of my best friends here in Ottawa growing up when I was little, her dad played in the NHL for the Red Wings and, and I forget who else, but it was back in the sixties, seventies, maybe. Oh, I hope I might, I hope that I'm not dating. Him. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, it was a while ago. Um, but he was, he also farmed, mm -hmm. right? Like, and he's now, he's a farmer still. And he's, he was a firefighter. Like he had to still have other careers because he wasn't making the millions that the NHL players are now. They right. were doing it back then for the love of the game as well and had other jobs that they had to do. So I'm like, that's where we kind of are now. And I believe in time, we'll get to that point where we are getting paid, where it's a salary. Maybe it's not millions to start, but you know, it'll be sustainable and whatnot. So, um, but as far as comparing CWHL to, to the Swiss league, um, CWHL was better. Really? More competitive, hundred percent. It's no knock on the Swiss league, but like, so I went from university college hockey to Switzerland. Right. And you know, when we would play, like I played for the ZSA Lions in Zurich and like we'd play against HC Lugano and 
those would be competitive, competitive games. Like it would be like a college game. Right. But the other teams, like the lower half of the league, you know, it would be like double digits. Sometimes we'd beat them or it'd be like a seven, nothing, eight, nothing. So the, the disparity was there. Um, whereas the CWHL, obviously there was some disparity as well, but when you have teams with Olympians and your top university collegiate athletes, the level of the game just rises so much more. Right. So it's just different experiences. And, and I always say like going to Switzerland, like the hockey was awesome and it was so much fun, but I loved to travel. I think I, I think I hit up like eight different countries when I was there. Like it was so easy to travel to different places. And it was an Olympic year at the time when I did it. So half of our team was gone with the Swiss Olympic team to Vancouver to Olympics. So we had a month off. So I was like, let's travel. (laughs) I'm assuming you guys would have played Olympic ice, right? Was it? it Some rings were. Some rings were. Others were. Yeah. It was, it, that's so curious to me because there's two different size rings. Like you have your right. NHL regulation size ring and then your Olympic ice, which what is 15 feet wider, I think. Wider, yeah. Yeah. So it does kind of change. I don't want to say the pace of the game, but the way you move the puck. Playing as a kid in tournaments, when you were on the Olympic rink, you were like, damn, like, <laughs> damn. You were going to be exhausted, you know? You knew you had to skate. So what did, did you, how did you feel like that affected your game if it did at all? Oh, it absolutely did. And not even over there in Switzerland, but even playing collegiately, like whenever we'd go play university in New Hampshire, there's an Olympic size sheet. And I always felt like I was a turtle on the ice. I'm like, (laughs) how am I this slow? Like, why can I not get to the boards? Like what is happening? And I'm like, I would always be gassed. I hated playing at UNH, hated it. And it's the same thing. Like I'm Skating was never my forte. Yes, I can skate. Obviously, I played at an elite level, but like I wasn't fast. That was always my knock. It's why I got cut from Hockey Canada. So to play in those Olympic sheets, I was like, where's the oxygen mask? Like, what's happening? (laughs) This is hard. (laughs) So it definitely changes. But again, if you're at that next level, if you are an Olympian, like it's it you adjust, you make do, and you can handle it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They make it look like light work. They make it look like light work. It's crazy. Why they're the best of the best. Yeah. Speaking of Olympians, I mean, there's been so much women's hockey, you know, nationally broadcasted just this past year with the PWHPA um, and the NWHL Isabel Cup finals. I'm going to assume that you, you know, have been following both of those, but, um, you know, did you watch the NWHL Isabel Cup finals? And, you know, if you did, like, what did you think about them? So here's the funny thing is like, given my, my profession, women's hockey life, what I do, my, my passion and love for the game, I actually have only seen two PWHBA games and little snippets of NWHL on Twitch. Cause that's what uh, we do here in Canada. And it is right. only because I'm a single mom of four and a half year old twins. Oh, so you got a lot going on. <laughs> well, that's just it. So I'm like, if I'm like, Hey, I want to watch this game. They're like, let's go play outside. Let's paint. Let's do a craft. Let's, let's ride on your back. And I'm like, Oh man. So it was I would love to say, yes, I watched all of it. Um, I didn't. Did I watch recaps, read about it? Yes, everything else. But um, it was unbelievable to see. And I know, I think it was the NWHL had some great ratings. So did the PWHPA Mm -hmm. as far as viewership, like 100K, I think was for NWHL. Um, And the PWHPA games, the ones that I watched, I think they were in New York City or New York. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was just, it was unbelievable. It It was like watching the Olympics. It was just fun to see the girls competing again. Obviously there was a little, the first couple periods in the, in that first game, it took them a little bit to get into it, but eventually they did. And it's understandable. It was, Mm -hmm. it was great hockey to watch. I mean, so how does that feel for you coming from the CWHL, which no longer exists and 
um, to watch the NWHL and the PWHPA both really, um, I think, start to gain some traction and momentum um, publicly, you know, both with sports media and broadcasting, but also just in terms of, um, you know, fans and ratings. It's unbelievable. Like, that's, again, why we did what we did in the early days of the CWHL. Like, it was a passion. Like, I think of Sammy Joe Small and, you know, Jana Heffert and all these people that helped build it and create it and turn it into what it was. And then it ultimately didn't, quote unquote, succeed, even though it was a success, but it led to something bigger and better. Right mm-hmm. now you've got two two other leagues and and the game's growing. Um, the pace of the game is so much faster. I can't even imagine myself out there right now. I, I think I'd be uh, sitting beside the goalpost, if anything, um, <laughs> that cherry picker or something. But no, it's, it's really cool to see. And, and, and even like I've mentioned, like Casey Bellamy and Gigi Marvin, like seeing those girls out there that I played with in the CWHL, like those are two defensemen that are un, not underrated. They're amazing. They're, they're veterans, but like they're, they're sneaky. They're, they've always been consistent and steady defensemen that don't necessarily get the attention, but I'm like, that's why they're still playing. Cause they're that good. They're smart hockey players. Right. Right. So it's, I'm just so proud and happy for them, for all of them. Right. They get to keep playing. And I think seeing, you know, getting to see them, at least I know you were watching on Twitch for us, it was on a national scale. So it was on NBC. Um, I definitely cried uh, with the openings and I was really emotional. So was my mom. We watched it together. Um, But we're starting to see this really big shift, especially for women in hockey. Um, I, I do want to say we've been here, you know, we've been pushing and we've been advocating the whole time. Um, but it suddenly feels like, you know, for the first time in a long time, we're feeling heard a little more with your experience of the game. You've seen a lot of different layers of it, right? What do you think the biggest shift in the sense of trying to get more women on national broadcasts, trying to actually cover the game, you know, the way it should be and not on two cameras, you know what I mean? Just maybe giving it the proper marketing, advertising, um, and accessibility and visibility. Like how have you seen conversations shifted there? Um, so it's, it's night and day. Like I, I don't ever like seeing, I think, I think Tessa Benham was the first female broadcaster I saw on TSN here up in Canada. And I was like, wow, cool. Like I played against her when she was at Ohio state. That's amazing. Like, so cool to see that. And, you know, you got Cassie Campbell and you've got, um, you know, Cheryl Pounder and, and, and uh, Jennifer Botterill, like you're seeing all of these amazing women now being put in these broadcasting analyst roles, you know, it's AJ Malesko. And and I'm like, this is awesome. Like, I just get so excited to see it because now little girls are going to grow up and watch like Hockey Night in Canada or the NHL network or whatever it may be and see these females in roles that you and I, all three of us grew up not seeing, right. It was always men. So it's, it gets back to, and I believe this is if you can see it, you can dream it, right? Whether you physically see it or you see it in your head, you can then manifest it. You can make it come to life. You can make it happen, but you got to either physically see it on a TV screen, or if you don't, you've got to be mentally strong enough to see it in your head that you know, you can manifest it now. Right. And that's what I think the, the trailblazers did the first, the first females that did that. And you're seeing so many more females being hired with NHL teams. And I don't know, I just get so excited. I get pumped. I get pumped thinking about it. Like it, it's, it's only going to get better. Right. And I'm, I'm an obnoxiously optimistic person. So like, there's going to be naysayers are like, what about this? What about that? I'm like, it's going to happen. I know it's going to happen. It will. Yeah. It's happening. 
it's happening. And that's what's so exciting about it is it's happening, you know? And I remember being young and, and sometimes feeling like, like you said, you know, you look around, there's not a lot of girls programs. There's not a locker room for girls in the rink. There's not, you know, you see these types of things. And then to come and see women play on a national stage, at least in the United States here. Um, it's just been incredible. And the energy is, I, we're here. Yeah. Well, and that's just it. And you and I both said, like, we played boys growing up because there weren't girls teams, right? And I look at both of my nieces right now and they're playing on girls teams. And if my daughter wants to play, then awesome. Let's do it. She can, she can play on a girls team if she wants, or if she wants to go play with the boys, I'd support that too. Like whatever, whatever works, but the opportunities are there, which is awesome. Mm -hmm. I feel like there's a really bright future for women's professional hockey in North America. And one of the things that I think is so important going forward is involvement from the NHL itself. Um, and I think we're starting to see that again, like with some support from teams with the PWHPA and the NWHL, you know, hosting games, wearing merch, whatever. Um, but from your perspective, where do you think that the NHL um, or, or men's hockey in North America can do better in supporting and growing women's professional hockey? To be honest, if this wasn't a pandemic, I'd probably have a different answer. Really? In the sense, in the sense of like the NHL, well, they've always said like there needs to be one league. So right. that's probably or challenge number one. There's mm -hmm. still two, right? So, okay, let's say there is one league. It's, we're in a pandemic. They have, they're starting to get some fans in the stands in the U.S. Obviously here in Canada, everything's still shut down, locked down. That's not happening. But their revenue is not the same. Their income is not the same. They're not profiting as much as they were before. So I know they make a lot of money and I don't know the numbers, so I'm not going to even try and pretend that I do. But just from a business standpoint, like how, how can we ask them to invest something when they're taking a big hit? And again, they probably have more than they maybe. So I shouldn't say probably. Maybe they have more than they know what to do with it. Do with, but I can't assume that unless right. someone tells me and gives me the numbers and the facts. I'm not going to assume and say, "Well, I'm sure they have money and they should be okay." But we're in a pandemic; they're not making the revenue streams. Like it's there's so many pieces that go into it. I think one day it will happen. Mm -hmm. I think one day there may be the model of the uh, the WNBA and the NBA, like. Look at how successful that is. But that took, what, 10 plus years to get to where they are, mm -hmm. right? So I think there's a piece to it where, again, obnoxiously optimistic. <laughs> it's going to happen. It's going to happen. Right. It's, but we live in this world of instant gratification. It's got to happen now. Like, why aren't they doing it now? This, that, and the other. And there's so much stuff that goes on behind the scenes with any business that it's easy to judge when you're not in. Mm -hmm. You don't have the facts and you don't know. And that's where it's just like, if you can take a step back and just let it be, let, let stop obsessing over it, stop stressing over it, like do what we can keep doing. And I think it's more getting back to the media question of, you know, TV outlets and, and news broadcasts and, and you, what you guys are doing, what we're doing at women's hockey life. Let's keep shining lights on the players, the people, the, the, the feel good stories to highlight the good of this game and how amazing it actually is. Like that's how we can make and grow and create more fans right now right and and we are getting the support nbc sports right like nhl network like look what the pwhpa is doing like there's there's so much good momentum and it's starting to snowball and guess what happens with the snowball <laughs> it gets bigger yeah I have, 
I agree, especially being in a pandemic, it's like hard to ask for any type of financial support. I would I would definitely agree with that. And I think we're starting to see the league do a little bit better where they can. And I think that's tweeting, that's posting, that's merch, that's so I like you said, I think that momentum is building and I, I hope that continues because I think it, it'll be helpful. And we're going to start to see those fans really hopefully in person soon. My goodness. Yeah. Right. Well, that's just it. And, and, you know, if it wasn't a pandemic, maybe the NHL would step in. But at the same time, I'd say no, because they've always said Gary Bettman's like, we need one league. So like until that happens, we can't even really have this conversation unless he changes or it changes. But even before the pandemic started, everyone was excited, like, oh, they're going to jump on. They're going to jump on. But I'm thinking at that point, I'm like, they were talking about the NHLPA having a lockout. So I'm like, he's not going to take out another players union. If you know what I mean, it's like there was, that was two years ago or whatever now, but there's just a lot of things that I think some people forget about and they just read that one story or that one news outlet and don't grab all the facts and it's no fault of their own. Like, you know what you know, you don't know what you don't know. Right. Yeah. So I mean, the hockey community is so, so large. And as we're kind of winding down and running out of time, um, I know again, thank you so much for like such an incredible conversation. Um, like, thank you again. And uh, really quickly, where can people find Women's Hockey Life? Womenshockeylife.com, right there. Perfect. Anything else, the WHL Academy that we have, the WHL gear that's going to be coming out in the next couple of weeks, it'll all be linked in that website. So if you're womenshockeylife.com, you can find us on Instagram, Twitter, um, all the social media, YouTube, everything. We're, we're out there. So find us, search for us, and let's do this again. There's so much more we can talk about. Oh, my God. Absolutely. We'll have you on any time. Jacqueline, thank you again so, so much. My pleasure. Take care, ladies. All right. Take care. Thank you. Women's Hockey Life is an incredible organization founded by Jacqueline Hawkins that focuses on promoting and supporting women in hockey, whether that be in the youth leagues, university, professional, or rec leagues, or if you're a parent or coach, WHL has got your back. They also have some really rad gear, an awesome podcast, which I encourage you all to check out a job board, an academy, Women's Hockey Life has it all. We have all of their content linked in the description box of this episode, so you can check them out. I really encourage you to do it. Um, Jacqueline has built a beautiful community, not only for women, but for hockey as a whole. And I feel so lucky, and I'm sure Kat does too, that we had to have her on our show. And I hope we get to speak to her again soon because this conversation was so much fun. If you want to get in touch with us, feel free to shoot us an email at balltalkers.offtheice at gmail.com and follow us on Instagram at offtheice. All contact info will be listed in the description box of the episode. Until next time, I'm Sam. I'm Kat. And thanks for joining us on Off the Ice. Have a beautiful week.